It's the odd, odd, odd to Newfoundland. Ghostly greetings from your host, Jonathan. 31 days of Halloween. <laughs> well, it finally happened today. Kids came home from school. And I looked at him and said, it's time to watch a Halloween movie, gang. And they were like, yup, let's do this. And to my surprise, they chose an absolute classic, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And I just love this. I just love this movie. There's so many cool things in this movie. So many Easter eggs and so many neat little things. And it's just really it's a Halloween and Christmas movie, in my opinion. It's, it could be either or. But this season is... Uh, like to me, I've always kind of felt like Halloween was the prelude to Christmas, and that's one of the cool things about being on this podcast. 31 episodes every single Halloween, then month off for November, no guests, no, usually no guests, sometimes I do, but usually just it's a month off, and then it's the Christmas special in December, so there's very little time really in between. So I always kind of felt like it's my nightmare before Christmas, <laughs> getting all 31 of these episodes ready, right? But it also made me think, you know, maybe... Maybe there's some things we don't know about this amazing film. It's 30 years old this year, for starters. That's incredible. 1993 is when this movie came out. 30 years ago, Jack Skellington and Sally fell in love, so to speak. And uh, such a cool concept of a movie. And there's so many little things about this movie. I wondered, are you even aware of all of them? Hmm. Let me just check out them. How about this one? Tim Burton did not direct The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's a common misconception spurred by the film's alternate title, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Burton was busy with Batman Returns and handed this hefty responsibility to his old Disney animation colleague, Henry Selick, who made his feature directorial debut, debut here. Burton's name goes above the title for serving as the producer, creating the story and coming up with the look of the characters for The Nightmare Before Christmas. Probably doesn't hurt that his name was much bigger than Selick's at the time, thanks to success... With Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, and Batman. Oh, by the way, Pee-wee Herman, Reuben, Paul Reuben, you know, R.I.P. to him. <laughs> He's actually one of those little kids locked, rock, and barrel. Did you know that? You know that song? Ring in the Santa Claus, put him in a bag. That song, guess what? That's him singing. If you listen very, very, very carefully, you can hear Pee-wee Herman singing that song. <laughs> Jack Skellington resurfaced in Henry Selleck's later films. 1996 saw the release of Selk's follow-up, stop-motion live-action adaptation of Road Dolly's James and the Giant Peach. It also saw the resurrection of the Nightmare Before Christmas bare-bones protagonist, who appears in one spooky scene as a skeletal pirate captain. He's much harder to spot in Selk's 2009 translation of Neil Gaiman's Coraline. But if you look closely, as the other mother takes makes breakfast, you'll see Jack's smiling skull hidden in the yolk of a cracked egg. <laughs> Nice little Easter eggs and nods there. The, the plot was inspired by a reoccurring collision of holiday store decorations. I can totally see that. Especially the part of the movie where the giant, like, evil snake thing eats the Christmas tree. It's so, like, so obvious. Did you know Tim Burton originally imagined The Nightmare Before Christmas as a television special? Like, how the heck would you fit all that into one little television special? Like Rankin slash Bass, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or Santa Claus is Coming to Town? Burton envisioned his, his take on Christmas could play well on television annually. This turned out to be true, but in a way he had not expected at all. He initially pitched the animated effort to TV studios. When that failed, he tried book publishers. None. 
not one bit until he pitched it to a full-length feature film. On the commentary track, Burton estimates that roughly 20 years passed between the project's earliest inception and its theatrical debut on October 29, 1993. 20 years to bring this story to life. Wow. Make no wonder it was so good. Oh, but it was a painstakingly slow process. The Nightmare Before Christmas backbreaking creation, a narrator notes that the production design team took a page from the pen and ink drawings of these two memorable artists, aiming to create in the physical set designs the kinds of cross-hatching and textures found within their worlds. Who was he talking about? Ronald Cyril and Edward Gorey were also influential. That's who he's talking about. Selleck explains that they'd smear sets in plaster or clay, then scratch lines into this material to give it that sort of etched texture or feel to make it look like a living illustration. Stop motion demands a great deal of time as well, so when Danny Elfman remastered and mastered most of the film's songs, Selleck's Plus team of 13 specially trained animators and an army of prop makers, set builders, and camera operators got to work without a final screenplay. Animators began by crafting Jack's big moment of discovery with, What's this? Shooting 24 frames per second meant the animators had to create a unique motions for 110,000 frames total. Oh my god. One minute of the movie took about a week to shoot, and The Nightmare Before Christmas took three years to complete. Such a big deal. Disney fought for Jack to have eyes. Did you guys know about that? Because of the dark and deeply weird nature of Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, Walt Disney Studios decided it was, it was just too off-brand to be released under their banner. So the film was made through their branch Touchstone Pictures, but this didn't keep Disney from dropping some serious studio notes, including the insistence that Jack Skellington's empty eye sockets be filled with a pair of friendly eyes. A common guideline in animation and puppet creation is that eyes are crucial having the audience connect to a character. But Selleck and Burton wouldn't budge on it and ultimately prove their anti-hero didn't need oculars to connect with the audience. He was just that. He was everything other heroes weren't. The most difficult shot in the whole movie was opening a door. Because of the filmmaker's dedication to be as true to shooting like live action as possible, One Nightmare Before Christmas shot proved especially challenging. When Jack discovers the part of the forest with pathways to other holiday worlds, he looks longingly at the Christmas tree door. A close-up of its shiny golden knob reflects this mournful skeleton as well as the trees behind him as he advances to open it. Getting the reflection just right took a great deal of time, care, and attention. It took weeks to film that weeks and almost a full month to edit wow the amount of effort and creativity that went into this movie it just it's mind-boggling Did you know that vincent price himself was almost almost in the movie and nearly came just inches away to be nightmares version of santa burton had previously worked with the renowned horror icon on edward scissorhands and vincent from there Price had agreed to give voice to the plump and flustered Santa, who <laughs> was kidnapped by treacherous trick-and-treaters, Lock, Shock, and Barrel. However, this plan was derailed when Price's wife, Coral Brown, passed in 1991. Sell explained in commentary track that the actor was so grief-stricken that the director felt he sounded too sad for Santa. That's really sad. Did you know the set was built with secret passages for animators? Reminiscent of the cut-out pathways used by Muppeteers, the animators behind and beneath The Nightmare Before Christmas had special trapdoors cut into 19 sound stages worth of 230 model state sets so they could more easily reach and manipulate their peculiar puppets. From these vantage points, they could move the at 
the armatures hidden within the creatures or swap their faces out for one of a hundred made to allow for a wide range of emotion. Jack Skeleton alone had more than 400 heads. The one question that's always kind of boggled me is how there hasn't been a sequel to this. I mean, there's movies that are half as popular as this that get a hundred sequels, honestly. But Tim Burton is the one who rejected the CGI sequel that was pitched to him. Though Disney has found success pumping out straight-to-DVD sequels for their animated hits, Burton had no interest in making The Nightmare Before Christmas 2. He told MTV, I was always very protective of Nightmare Before Christmas, not to do sequels or things like that kind. You know, Jack visits Thanksgiving World and other kinds of things just because I felt the movie had a purity to it and the people that like it. Love it. They don't want to change it because it's not a mass market kind of thing. It was important to kind of keep that purity to it. I try to respect people and keep the purity of a project as much as possible, especially when it's a niche project like The Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, here we are, one of the most commercially successful merchandise movies of all time, 30 years old this year, 1993. Jack Skellington, I salute you. <laughs> one more thing i got to say. Across the street from me right now, which totally inspired all this today. Somebody put out a giant Jack Skellington outside their house. And I didn't realize how big Jack Skellington was until I watched him in the movie and realized he's almost as tall as the houses. That puts him at about, ooh, 10 feet tall. <laughs> la, 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 la. Hope to see you guys tomorrow. Take care. Attention all Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio listeners. The Odd to Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast brings you the best in East Coast esoterica on the first of every month. Together, we can keep it growing by sharing the show on social media, subscribing to the show wherever you may be listening to it from, and by leaving feedback about your favorite episodes. John certainly needs a friend like you to help make his dreams come true. Minus the alien abduction dreams. That is not cool at all. The Odd to Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast. Always available. Always free. Always odd.